this year we're working to get to a million a month in revenue and you know, I need everyone exactly on the same page to make that happen because it's really, really difficult. And so if people are caught up, like someone said this that offended me, like that, that kind of stuff is toxic. And so we don't spend any time with distractions there because we put in this work up front. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Today on the show, we are going to talk about some scary, intimidating topics. And as a clue, the words team and honesty feature heavily. Oh boy. Are you worried yet, boss? (laughs) I am honestly scared. Our guest today is Nathan Berry, the founder and CEO of ConvertKit. That's an email marketing tool for bloggers. It's fair to say that Nathan hasn't been afraid to confront and analyze and be transparent about the challenges of entrepreneurship over at his great blog. Check it out, NathanBerry.com. But the challenge he's facing at the moment, which is how to create a company culture amongst a rapidly expanding team, and I will underline the word rapidly, is one that most listeners of this show would love to have. ConvertKit is only four and a half years old, boss man. It currently has 28 employees and is turning over $9 million in annual recurring income. I think it's fair to say we've got a little bit of a success story on our hands on today's show. Yeah, I remember meeting Nathan at MicroConf four or five years ago before this whole ConvertKit thing started. (laughs) Nathan, still the same guy, amazing, very generous. But now he's got this massive company on his hands. And that just happened like basically overnight. But with these, quote, overnight stories, it's important to underline that Nathan has been grinding hard for years and years. This one just happened to stick. Totally. And it wasn't so long ago that Nathan was seriously considering just giving up on ConvertKit altogether. So just for fun, we dive into the story right there. So my background is as a blogger and I was trying to get into software and spent a couple years trying to get ConvertKit off the ground as a software product. And two and a half years ago, we had like a thousand dollars a month in recurring revenue and trying to decide whether to shut it down or like double down on the product and go all in. What do you think made the difference? I think at its core, I was building a product that I wanted. And so I knew that if I had that problem, other people would. But what made the difference was the amount of effort that I put in and then the tactics that I used. So I was trying to work, like trying to build a product on the side. For a product of this scale, it's not an effective strategy. And then the other thing is I was trying to like just sell through content marketing and other things. And it's really hard to get traction that way. It's a great way to get results when you're further along. But getting someone to switch email tools is hard. And so... Trying to get them to do that through a blog post is really challenging. So once I switched to direct sales and you know really started cold emails, phone calls, all that kind of thing, then we were able to get a lot more traction. What's it like running such a big company? 
You know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs dream about being in, in your boots right now. It's pretty fun. You know, for a while I had this idea of like, I don't want to run a team, you know, being a solopreneur is, has a lot of advantages, but I'm having more fun than I've ever had before. Like there's a lot of challenges to running the team, but I don't have to be at the front of everything. Like we just hosted a 300 person conference and I spent like, I think 25 minutes on stage out of an entire two day conference. Cause I got to give my talk the way I wanted, but you know, our director of marketing is a way better MC than I am. And so he ran all of that and it's just, we're able to execute at so much of a higher level than anything that I could do alone. And so I just have tons of fun. One of the things we were going to talk about today is culture. It's kind of a broad concept. Yeah, it's pretty ambiguous. You probably didn't have culture when you hired your first couple employees. Culture wasn't even a priority for me because I didn't know what it meant. It was just something like a buzzword that people talked about. And so now what culture means to me is trust, like at its core. So it's not the Silicon Valley ping pong tables and you know free dinners or whatever. It's do you actually trust who you work with and can you rely on them? Can you trust them to give you the benefit of the doubt whenever, you know, you say something or screw up in some way or whatever else? And yeah, how connected are you to them? And that really defines the culture to me. What sort of situations is that useful? So I don't know if you've ever communicated on the internet and found that your your meaning didn't come through over text because, you know, you said something in a really concise way. And like, I have a habit of doing this where someone will ask a question and I'll respond with like, you know, a four word sentence. And so people could take that the wrong way. You know, they could get offended easily or something like that. But if they have this trust and this knowledge of who I am and what I value, they'll give me the benefit of the doubt, even if I screw up in some way. Now, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about that you've sort of used to build up this culture are they necessary because your team's remote? I think the benefits are even more pronounced because the team is remote. But I've worked in some in-person physical offices where they could have really benefited from, you know, that trust and that level of culture. Like one of my last jobs when I think about what the culture was there, it was all of us like engineers, you know, designers and developers standing around the pool table complaining that we didn't get paid enough. That is a culture. (laughs) Yeah, it's not what I'm after. So being remote, I think you have to be a lot more conscious about culture because you can't just say like, yeah, we go out to lunch every Monday and that kind of thing. You know, you've got to be a lot more conscious about it because it doesn't come naturally when you're not in person. Let's talk about some of the things that you guys do. Yeah, one of the first things that we do that kind of sets the tone for the culture is what we call unsolicited feedback. And the idea behind it is basically... If you and I are friends, you know, I might come to you and ask for help on something, you know, hey, what do you think about this idea? And, you know, you give me feedback and I would say thanks. And you might leave that going, yeah, but he didn't ask about this other thing. And social norms say that you can only give me feedback on the things that I ask for feedback about. You can't like say, here's what I think about this that you asked on. But in this total other area, here's how you should really change your life. Here's how you should change how you behave and everything else. And this is how you should change your business. Often people don't know what to ask for feedback on and they ask for feedback on the wrong things. And so with unsolicited feedback, the idea is basically that for this period of time, you're allowed to comment on anything about this person as if they're not there. By the way, I'm getting terrified just listening to you talk about this. 
<laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, people get really nervous, but then you do it a few times and, and it it's a really special thing. So we do this at our team retreats. So twice a year we get together in person. And so within a team, so the engineering team, the customer success team, you know, the marketing team, they'll do this with each other. So they'll all sit in a circle and one person will be in the hot seat. And the way it works is they can't say anything. And everyone else talks about them for about 10 minutes and you set a timer as if they weren't there. And so you get this remarkable feedback. People say what they really value and love and appreciate about this person. And then also what they think that person should work on. And it starts out usually pretty surface level. And I think the first time that we did this with a team, it was really surface level because that, that trust wasn't built. But people will share things like, hey, you know, when this person does this, it makes me think that or makes me feel this. You know, I really wish they would actually do the work when they say they're going to. And often someone's hearing things that they already know about themselves. It ends up being really good to have it stated so clearly. And the other thing about it is that we judge ourselves based on our intentions. So I might say something like, you know, I have no idea why Dan did this or why he acts in this way. And, you know, you would be sitting there and you'd be like, well, I know exactly why I do that because, you know, you intended to do this, why you didn't follow through on that. You know exactly why, but you're not allowed to talk. And so you can only sit there and listen to everyone else judge you based on your actions because that's how it works anyway. And so you have all these excuses for yourself and all these reasons No one else knows about them and you're not allowed to explain them. And you just sit there and take notes. We usually record them if that person wants to save it for later. Then after those 10 minutes are up, people kind of finish up everything they have to say. And then you have another five to 10 minutes to kind of review your notes and respond to everything. And it ends up being incredibly powerful as you build that trust because then you know exactly what people think about you. And it comes in this really constructive setting where people are trying to build you up. And they're really, you know, from a place of love and generosity saying, hey, this is what would make you a more effective coworker. I don't know, all kinds of stuff has come out of like, I feel like you're not really pulling your weight in this area. Like people get like totally real. And have you been subjected to this, Nathan? Oh, yeah, all the time. Do you have some weaknesses in terms of managing the team that they bring up to you? I'm trying to think of some of the best ones. But when I have these really short messages in Slack or quick responses that are really abrupt, how that makes them feel, they called out how when I fired someone, it made them feel like they couldn't share exactly what they thought because, you know, if they ever truly conflicted with me, that they might get fired. They called that out and we were able to talk through that and explain why this person was fired and work through those details. I now have an executive assistant because they insisted on it on one of these sessions because they were like, look, you're terrible at follow-up and follow through on these ideas. And so I don't fully trust that if you say you're going to take something on, that it'll actually fully be executed on. And those are all powerful things to like get to the point where you in an open way can just tell your, (laughs) tell the CEO of your company. And it's great. What are some other things that are working for you? Every Monday we do this team call with everyone. And because it's a remote team, the first most important thing about the team call is just us spending more time with each other. So this is a video call on Zoom. So there's, you know, 25, 28 little postage stamp size videos. (laughs) At first we were doing these meetings and it was like updates. So engineering would give their update on this is what we're working on. And, and we'd go through the, all these different things and the meeting just wasn't that great because the people's personality wasn't coming out quite so much. You got to see each other, which was good, but it felt like a waste of time. And it was like, hey, you can just give this to me in Slack or in Basecamp. And I don't need to waste an hour of time sitting here. 
so we changed it so the updates now are like a you know the first five to ten minutes if people need to update on really important things that are going on but then after that we pick a dedicated topic and we try to think through what's the the most important thing that we could talk about as a company that would affect our culture so for example one of them and someone proposed this posted it in Basecamp, and then we discussed it for a while and the, and the question was do you feel like you can say whatever you think without repercussion? And then if you say that, do you feel like your opinion will actually be heard and acted on? And so having this conversation was foundational to building that level of trust because that's when things came out like, I feel like Nathan and I can disagree, but if it ever gets to the point where we like have a fundamental disagreement or conflict on this thing that like I won't be able to work here anymore, that I'll get fired. And then two people said like, yeah, and it's because of how this one interaction was handled, you know? So then we're able to talk through that. And someone else would say like, look, I feel like we have this culture of conversations, but I don't feel like, you know, maybe my ideas, I feel like they'll be listened to, but not acted on. And so it feels like it's not putting that effort out. And so that we can dive into why people feel that way. And you end up hearing from a lot of different people who probably would, normally wouldn't speak up. And then that sets the stage for all the other conversations. So like the next conversation we had the following week was why do you work here? And then digging into that more, you know, what makes you stay? And if there's anything that would make you leave, you know, what would that be? And so we end up like that base camp thread that usually happens for the first four days, you know, maybe starting like Tuesday or Wednesday and then leading up to the Monday conversation, you know, and someone is able to freely talk about how, I work here. This is what I love about it. But things that would make me leave, you know, maybe would be, I don't see an opportunity to move up into leadership because it's a small team and those are already filled. Someone else talked about how they really crave that physical interaction and actually being able to be in an office with people. And so now knowing what all these different people need and what they care about and why they're here, it's just so much deeper connection. And so we try to move through all these different conversations and there've been just some really, really powerful ones. Why did it occur to you to do this? It seems like a lot of effort. And a lot of the topics are sort of scary. Like they're the precise ones that business owners don't want to talk about. We want to have that culture where people really trust each other and will bring up anything. Because if you feel like you can talk to someone about anything, then I feel like you can fight alongside them and you can really rally and work towards these big goals with each other and absolutely be on the same page rather than just like, yep, this is a job that I have. It pays me pretty well and it lets me work from anywhere. So, you know, and it's kind of a cool product. So by tackling these big things, we can be that much more connected and then like align that energy towards like this year, we're working to get to a million a month in revenue. And, you know, I need everyone exactly on the same page to make that happen because it's really, really difficult. And so if people are caught up, like, Someone said this that offended me or, you know what, this person is a pain to deal with. So I don't want to, you know, I'm just going to avoid them going forward because there's 20 whatever people in the company. And so I can get away with that. That kind of stuff is toxic. And so we don't spend any time with distractions there because we put in this work up front. Another thing along those lines that I learned from someone on the team, there's this interaction that I think every manager has. And that's where someone comes to you and is talking about, someone else on the team and they're like man the thing that this person did they like didn't do their part of the project they totally let me down this way or they said this thing you know they're just going on about like the problems with this other person and so as a manager 
what I would tend to do is like take on all of that and go, okay, yep, wow. How are we going to solve this? Like, okay, now it's my problem. I've got to solve it. And like, that's a big emotional burden, let alone like the time that it takes to, okay, now I should talk to other people. I should get advice from someone else. Like, how are we going to handle this? And so what I learned from, it's basically this framework is that you listen to everything this person has to say, and then you respond in one really simple way. And you say, hey, so I'm assuming that since you're telling me this, that you're telling me this for one of two reasons. One, you needed to voice all of this and get your ideas out and, and like talk through it so you can get clear on what your frustration is before you go and tell that person. Or two, you're worried about how that conversation is going to go. You would like someone to be there to kind of help facilitate it a little bit or to observe it so that you know you can make sure that the conversation goes well and that it doesn't cause more conflict. And so then you just say, so which one is it? When is the conversation going to happen? And would you like me to be there? And so what that does is instead of taking on this huge emotional burden yourself and turning into this culture where people are talking about each other behind their backs, you listen and then direct it directly at that person and take it straight to the source. And you can be there to facilitate or not. And people often voice all of that and go, okay, all right, yeah, I guess I just need to go talk to them. No, I don't need you to be there. I can just go have that conversation. And then I just make a little calendar reminder to follow up in a couple of days and say, hey, how'd that go? You know, or other times, you know, I'll be there. Or another one of the leaders in the company will be there to facilitate the conversation. But then you never have this culture of he said this about me behind my back or we all know that that person doesn't pull their weight, you know, but we just put up with it. Instead, like everything is out in the open and said directly to people. And it's all because of that simple framework. Most of us have less than five employees probably in the entrepreneurial world. I think just by the statistics a lot of us are aspiring to get to where you're at. What are some of the things that entrepreneurs with less than five employees or solopreneurs don't understand about the path that you've been on? What are some things that they can expect to have happen when, as they scale their team past 10, 15, 20 employees? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that you don't realize how much, how many problems communication can cause and how important it is to do something that we call working in public. And so it's so easy for you and I to work on something and then have all these conversations about it and, and then like just ship the finished result. But then if, you know, if there's 10 other people that have to support it and then five other engineers that have to work, you know, understand how to improve on it later, all the conversation happened over email or in like DMs and Slack or something like that, then no one has context for it. And so the most important thing that we stress is, even if the conversation that you're having doesn't affect anyone else, you still have that in either a public Basecamp thread or a public Slack channel so that other people can refer to it. And you'll see people posting things in Slack like just total random updates that don't really affect anyone. And it's just like, hey, this is, you know, either I'm headed out for the day or just paid these 10 contractors or these, you know, five bills or whatever. But the cost of updating everyone is so low that, you know, if there is someone who wants to keep tabs on what's going on, that you can do it really, really easily. Another thing is I took the, from the guys at Basecamp, I took their How We Work workshop that was really good. And they talked about something that happens if you don't know what someone does, it's human nature to assume that they don't do anything useful. And so as the company gets bigger, there's going to be people you don't even, you don't know what they do. You don't interact with them on a regular basis. And so Basecamp has this thing that they implement where at the end of every day, it just asks, what did you work on today? 
And it's just a quick thing. It's totally optional to fill out. You know, had calls with these people, recorded this podcast episode, coded this feature, whatever it is. It's like leaving a little trail of breadcrumbs of like, this is the work that I did. And so everyone else becomes aware of the other projects that are going on. And then they know more about what you're doing. And then if they have input on it, you know, maybe you're linking to the new designs for the marketing site, they'll jump in and add some feedback. But it's like a really low friction way to do that. Or they can totally ignore it if they want. But that idea of working in public and having like sharing everything that you're doing as you do it ends up being really powerful. And I think it just doesn't matter with two employees or three employees. Yeah, when does all this stuff start? When does it start to matter really? I think we started noticing the pain from it, from not having it at about 10 employees. There were some toxic things going on when we were at, you know, eight, nine, 10 employees. And that's when we kind of started doubling down on, on this stuff. Is there a way you could talk about some of those things? Yeah. So one of them was something happening with our support team. The support team was under a lot of pressure to answer, you know, we were growing really quickly. At the time, we were growing like 30% every month, going from like 100,000 in recurring revenue to 130,000 to 150,000, like one to the next month. And so the load on our support team was crazy. And the person running that team at the time felt like he wasn't getting the support that he needed from the rest of the company. And so it started to turn into this kind of us versus them mentality of like the support team feeling like they had to fight for the resources that they needed. And it's pretty bad when you have a company of 10 or 11 people and you have an us versus them mentality, like dividing it in half. And so that's when we started to, you know, really double down on like, okay, how can we make sure that that kind of thing never happens again? The other thing is if you push for these one-on-ones and people to really get to know each other, you're going to have a lot less of that happening, right? Because if you know someone well, then it's so much easier to assume the best about them. Whereas if it's someone that you only interact with on Slack and you don't know them very well, then it's easy to be like, assume the worst and assume that they, you know, let you down in this area because they just don't care rather than that maybe they took on too much. We've noticed that by forcing people to do one-on-ones, not forcing, but basically saying like, this is our expectation that, because some people won't take that initiative if you don't introduce it, but that by giving them a back channel, they can get so much more done. Because there is a bit of politicking that happens in every company meeting, you know, where the thing that you can say to four people is very different from the thing that you can say to one. So actually on that note, when we have these all company meetings, they'll often, if we pick a topic, they'll often be fairly high level. So we we're talking about work-life balance. That was one of our topics because A cultural thing that we have is that no one is allowed to ever brag about the number of hours they worked, like ever. And we will call that out instantly. Now we have a lot of people that put in 50, 60 hours a week, but you're never allowed to brag about that. If you want to brag about something, you can brag about the results that you got from it. And we encourage people to try to optimize so they can get to that 40 hours a week so that if for some reason, you know, I don't know, servers go down on a Saturday, like we have that extra energy that we can put into it because we've been working at a really sustainable pace. So we're having this work-life balance conversation and it was really high level and people were like, oh yeah, my work-life balance is great. And so then I was like, okay, this needs a new question. The question that I asked, and we've used this so much since then, is what is the thing right now that you could say, but you're afraid to? And I started to explain it more and then someone on our team was like, oh no, 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 I I know right away what it is. (laughs) And they were like, so I feel like we have big goals as a company. And all these people who are like, ah, I like 40 hours a week. I feel like I'm carrying, like I'm pulling their weight in that case. And it was like, ooh, now we're having a real conversation. 
And so having that framework of what's the thing that is on your mind that you're afraid to say, and that's the thing that's going to get us to a real conversation. And so now we encourage that every single meeting, it always takes these surface level conversations to a deeper level. Do your employees know how much money each other makes? They do not. Okay. Have you thought about going transparent with that? We've thought about it a lot, and we've actually had a Monday meeting discussion about it. <laughs> so I was talking to Rand Fishkin, who runs Moz, which is a anyone who's ever done search engine optimization is familiar with their products. And they've been a big advocate for you know transparency, and they've had their revenue numbers public and all this stuff for, for a very long time. And I was at this event. Someone asked him, like, Buffer has their salaries public. And why doesn't Moz? And I really liked his answer because he talked about their core values. They have a few of them, but two of them were transparency and another is empathy. And so he decided as a company that transparency as a core value is like, okay, share everything. But then if you're sharing things about someone's personal life and exactly how much they make, you know, and things like that, then that starts to conflict with the empathy core value. And so I see it as that's not mine to share, certainly publicly. I would be open to sharing like salaries within the company, but we discussed it as a company and people just said they didn't want to. And I'm good with that. Talk to me about the decision to share some of your profits with your employees. Where did you get inspired to do that? And then how do you execute the program? I've always wanted everyone to feel like they're working towards the same goal and they're realizing the results from it. And I've seen this opportunity on the software side of things where you can build you know, a fast-growing and profitable company. Now, traditionally, people get compensated through you know, a fair salary and then stock options. And so as we went down that road, I realized I don't ever want to sell. And these options aren't worth anything if I don't sell. And so it felt really disingenuous to be like, hey, get these stock options to share in the success of the company. Oh, by the way, we're never selling. And I want to run it for the long term, and I want to be taking out meaningful profit distributions. And so I want the team to share in that. The other side of it is, as people spend money, it's really easy to say, like, let's just throw money at this problem. And you often, like, skip over really creative solutions because, you know what, we have profit, why not just spend it? And if it's not their money, you know, people don't think of it in that way. So if they're out to dinner on the company dime, or if they're buying new equipment, you know, it's just like, who cares? Is it within my budget? Can I spend it? Sure. Done. So you feel like the team actually takes account of that when they're making decisions. Oh, absolutely. And you know, you give someone their first $10,000 profit sharing check and it covers the last six month period. And they're like, Whoa. Okay. You know? And so then when things come up later and it's like, Hey, we could spend money sponsoring this conference or we could spend money on all these other things. And rather than being like, sure, why not? It's what's the return that we're going to get? How many accounts do you think we're going to get from it? What's the payback period? And everyone thinks in those terms. So give me a crash course on how, how to share profits with your team. How can one go about thinking about it and setting it up? Yeah. So the first time that we did it, we had such a different range in how long people have been with the company. We did it purely based on how long someone had been with the company. And that was, you know, because some people had started like weeks earlier and some people had been there for a year and a half. Now what we've done going forward is we wanted to keep it really simple. Each six month period, we choose a percentage of profit. Tends to be about 20%, 25% of profits for that six month period. And then what we do is we divide it up in the team based on two factors. 
One factor is how long you've been with the company because we want to reward that long-term commitment. And the other factor is your performance during that time. Time with the company represents 25% of your profit sharing amount and then performance represents 75%. So the way we do performance is we have like a zero to four scale. And zero is like you're performing so poorly that like you're about to be fired probably. And we've never used the zero because we've always fired people before they that comes around. And then the middle one would be the two. And that's basically that you're hitting all of your KPIs and you're performing as expected. So a two is actually really, really good. A one would be, you know, we absolutely believe in you, but you're you know falling short on a few KPIs. And then a three is you're going above and beyond. You know, like we have someone who, you know, learned a ton of new skills and used those skills to get great results for the company in the last six month period. And so they got a score to three. And then the four is like, you achieved some remarkable thing that really moved the company forward. So when you get a three, are you taking some of the profits from, you're taking a larger percentage of the pool. So it's a little bit of a competition between the team. A little bit. Basically, we just add up all the numbers, you know, all the twos, ones, twos, threes, whatever. And then it gets to a total number. And then we divide out the, you know, if there's 42 performance points, then we divide that out by the pool. And then it comes out to, okay, there's $2,000 or $4,000 per point. And so you end up getting more, but not like a crazy amount more. There is another factor because we do hire people relatively quickly. And that's the time that you've been with the company in the last six months or in that period, you know, if you've only been here for 50% of that six month period that we're profit sharing on, then, you know, you'd get the full calculation and then we just multiply it by, you know, 50%. And how did you come to the 20% overall profit number? Where does that come from? Uh, We made it up and we fluctuate it based on kind of the performance overall. We want to get to a hard and fast rule on this, but we kind of just went with numbers that, that felt right. And especially because at the rate that we're growing, we have to save a lot of money because if you think of your savings as a matter of like months of expenses in the bank to just to have three months of expenses in the bank, you know, for us, that's $1.5 million, you know, just that you would have to keep on cash on hand to only have three months of expenses in the bank. And so that's like, you end up having to save a ton of money just to operate conservative financials. So we are at time now for this, but I hope you'll come back in the future. This is a great story to be tracking because you're on the show a couple hundred episodes ago, actually. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. It's an interesting little arc, an incredible arc. It's not quite an arc, actually, if you sketch it out. You know a lot of the listeners of this show. I'm curious, this is a, a bit of a harder question, but do you have anything you want to say to them? A lot of people are aspiring to sort of end up where you're going in terms of business success. I guess the benefits of two things it would be the direct sales you know, I talked about that a lot before. And, but then the other is just invest in the people on your team. I know there's a big push to not have like that be like treat the company as a family or things like that. But I absolutely do. I think of these people, they're who I'm going to spend a lot of time with. And a lot of the reason I built the company is so that I can surround myself with great people and then invest a lot in them. So I know about their lives. I know what they care about. I know what their dreams are. And I fully expect them to move on from the company at some point. And I'm going to encourage and support them when the time is right for that. I would just say that in business, if you really invest in the people around you, you'll have a lot more fun and a lot fewer problems to deal with. And you might get some fast growth to go along with it. Nathan, I actually stopped in the interview to take a few notes for personal 
usage. I don't, I don't often do that. <laughs> oh, I need to do that. <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate you doing this, and thanks for dropping by the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Big shout to Nathan Barry for swinging by, being so open with us on the show about the lessons he's learning. We're going to post links to everything Nathan talked about and the transcript of this episode at tropicalmba.com slash convert kit. I bet you're feeling jealous that you weren't on this phone call, boss man. I think a lot of people are feeling jealous just about Nathan and Nathan's business in general. To be able to accomplish what he has in such a short period of time, it's a dream. It's a dream, right? This is what entrepreneurs dream of. And he couldn't be a nicer guy. Super helpful. Like I was taking notes during this call, okay? And then after the call, we swap notes about a bunch of other things that are going on. I mean, he's so helpful. And one thing that's clear is not only is ConvertKit on fire, but Nathan's on fire too, you know? And sometimes learning from people who have just learned something is more inspiring and more relevant than from people who've like known something for 10 or 20 years because they can describe, like he's running these experiments right now. I mean, these lessons are fresh, right? He's on fire. He's running these experiments. He's learning fast and he's sharing with us. And and I was pumped. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. So big shout to Nathan and the team at ConvertKit. You guys are doing great work. Congratulations on your success. And we look forward to uh, following up on the story. So that's it. Any final thoughts, boss man? Grow the sides of your beard back. <laughs> Get that right. going. Stay tuned to next week to see uh, the exciting facial hair updates of the host <laughs> that you can't see anyway. <laughs> all right. This again, tropicalmba.com slash convert kit for the transcript and all the links. Go ahead over to slash subscribe as well. Take a look at the back catalog of this podcast as uh, well as some other treats once you get on on the subscriber list we'll be back next thursday morning 8 a.m eastern standard time see you then hey thanks for listening to the tropical mba podcast you can go to tropicalmba.com get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies load up your ipod that is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight we will see you next thursday morning 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.